Hi, everyone. It's Joshua Davis. And I am Frederick Karest. First of all, we, we want to say that we hope everyone is staying safe and healthy right now. These are certainly uh, challenging and dynamic times. Uh, more than ever, I think human communication is important and just connecting with each other. And we're excited to be back here with you all. I'm actually speaking to you from the back seat of my car, which is my temporary recording studio in isolation. And I'm in my home office. So what are we doing here? Well, we aren't back with season two of Zero to IPO just yet, but we have decided to drop our first episode early because it features a very special guest who's played a pretty big role in our day-to-day lives. Enterprise software isn't something that normally makes national news, but Eric Yuan and the company he founded, Zoom, have found themselves front and center this month as millions of people are trying to figure out how to work and live and keep in touch with people. Yeah, and over the past few weeks, as companies around the world have shut down their offices as a result of COVID-19, many have turned to teleconferencing to help keep operations going while maintaining employee safety. And it seems like pretty much everyone I know, certainly everyone that I talk to is using Zoom because I get Zoom invitations all day long. As a refresher, we're mixing up the format this time, and this episode with Eric is a great example of what's to come. Conversations in which successful founders and CEOs give great advice to new entrepreneurs who are starting companies and have found themselves at a strategic crossroad. So we want to share this episode early in the hopes that it offers a little hope and inspiration to our listeners, or at the very least, a good distraction. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Eric Yuan of Zoom and Rachel Tipograph of Micmac. Welcome back to season two of Zero to IPO. Today, we have a very exciting couple of entrepreneurs on the show. Rachel Tipograph, the founder of Micmac. CEO, founder and CEO. CEO, who was called by Entrepreneur Magazine one of the 50 most daring entrepreneurs. And we also have Eric Yuan, the founder and CEO of Zoom, which, as we all know, has grown into a behemoth of video conferencing. Yeah, I think what's very interesting here is both enterprise uh, software entrepreneurs one who is earlier in her journey, another one who is later on in his journey. He's gone public, taken it public, but still has a lot of memory about what it was like to be at her stage. So I think this is going to be very, very interesting. Let's introduce our guests Great. today. Eric Yuan is the CEO and founder of Zoom and has grown Zoom into a, a little bit of a big company, I think. It's still very small. <laughs> very small compared to what you're going to become. That's how he thinks about it. Right on. Eric started the company in 2011 and IPO'd last year. And at the IPO, the company had a market cap of a little over $9 billion. Now, less than a year later, it's at $21 billion on the public markets. So is that, that's more. That's more. That's more. So a little growing. bit more. That's great. That's growth. Up I, until I, the I right. don't know it. I never look at a market <laughs> cap. You never, that's right. <laughs> not a sustainable. Market yeah. cap is not sustainable. Revenue... We should talk about the revenue growth. Yeah. Revenue growth is very impressive. It's about on the order of about 100% year over year, kind of up on a 600 plus million dollar revenue year, consensus estimates. We're not saying anything out of the ordinary here. That is very impressive. And when you can see that kind of growth at that kind of scale, that's something that's very exciting. Well, before we go any further, I want to introduce Rachel Tipograph, the CEO and founder of Micmac, which is a fast growing startup. And there's a lot of things. I want to ask you about and talk to you about part of the purpose of this show is to hear from you about how you're growing the company, what your hopes and aspirations for it are, 
and any kind of obstacles that you see ahead that perhaps not me, but the other two leaders of public companies might be able to chime in with some experience. Let me ask you to describe McMac for our listeners and talk a little bit about what the company does. Sure. So McMac, we're a marketing e-commerce platform. Fortune 500 brands license our software to better understand their consumers by connecting digital investments to online retail insights. So essentially, when I put a dollar into Facebook, what does that mean for my performance at Walmart, for example? So my clients span Campbell's, Hasbro, Lego, L'Oreal, Nestle. Essentially, if you sell at Amazon, Target, Walmart, you will become my client because you live in darkness with retail data. Let me brag a little bit about you, if, if I may. At age 24, you became the global director of digital and social media at Gap, which seems pretty young to have that role. I wasn't doing much of anything at 24. I, I think I was taking out the mail for whoever was <laughs> running that role at Gap at the time. Uh, but then you walked away from that to start this company out of your apartment, I believe, in Brooklyn. That must have been a difficult decision. Similarly, Eric, you had a big role at WebEx. You were leading the engineering team. You had hundreds of engineers. You said to your wife, hey, I think I need to go start this company, and she didn't like the idea? Yeah, she sort of did not like that, like that idea. By the way, I almost failed to graduate when I was 24 years old. See? There you yeah. go. Yeah. So the three of us. Uh, <laughs> Degenerates. Uh, the Degenerates. Well, Rachel, well, Rachel was killing it. By the way, the other thing that I love about what I've heard about your career is, is Gary Vaynerchuk, who was an investor in my company and I believe invested in yours, describes you as a fucking gangster, quote unquote. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky to have his support. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Micmac and the growth of online video and the commercialization of online video. Obviously, Eric has a massive video business. What you're trying to do with Micmac, uh, some people describe it as infomercials for the web. Uh, I've heard the term mini-mercial. Mm -hmm. Did you come up with that? Mini-mercial? I did. I coined it. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is that it was very hard before Micmac to see a video and buy something. You had to jump through a number of hoops, and the bounce rate was like above 90% when you click through. And now with Micmac, the bounce rate comes down to... Often like just 10%. Right. And the... Thesis of Micmac was I was at Gap. I was seeing the growth of video. I was seeing the change in the customer journey. So Gap.com, the homepage, was the most traffic web page when I started. When I left, the product detail pages were seeing 5x the amount of traffic. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, all of these landing pages were actually becoming the heartbeat of conversion, but no senior leader was paying attention to them. And then finally, the rise of Amazon. So the early signs that the major e-retailers were about to become new wall gardens. And if you talk to major CPG brands, they would be investing hundreds of millions of dollars, whether it was in digital video, social, paid search, programmatic, and having no idea what the outcome was on the other side. So in your case, you have this insight, and you know it's a good insight, mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm going to start a company. But you leave a massive company, mm -hmm. and now you're this tiny little entity all by yourself, 
and you have like your your powers that you have the insight. Why are you gonna be like that, man? <laughs> Why are you gonna be like that? Well, the I'm telling the lady truth. The, 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 yeah. the bravest lady in the room, and you're like, oh, you're little, little. What do you mean? Well, that's is the honest <laughs> truth. We said we tell the truth, and you have these massive companies that could easily swoop in and and take your idea. Like, talk to us about how do you navigate that? And I want to hear also from Eric because. He was in the same boat as you leaving WebEx. Yeah, it starts with an insight. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is executing. And initially, my competitive advantage, right, is speed of market. I'm nimble. I can move faster. Fast forward, all of a sudden, I start proving myself. And then other companies begin to pay attention. Because obviously, if I'm successful, it must mean that there's a larger opportunity out there. How did, that, how did that make you feel? What was your reaction to the, you know, the encroachment, the potential encroachment? My first reaction was this is a good thing because you don't want to be a lone ranger in business. It means you're, you're not doing something that's Is it a market? If you're the right. only one, yeah. is it really a market? Yeah. So I was excited. I'm like, yeah, like competition, bring it on. But then when you look at the size of those companies, so I have currently 30 employees. My competitors have upwards of 5,000 employees. Then you start to get a little bit scared. Because they could put, you know, 50 salespeople against the Southwest Territory and then no one at Keurig Dr. Pepper was ever going to talk to me. And those are the dynamics that began to change for me last year, which was, uh uh-oh, like I got to suit up because there's people who can be louder in market right now. I still have the utmost confidence in my product. I have the utmost confidence in my ability to lead. But the reality is, is that they're bigger than me. Eric, can but, you talk uh, to but us? But I'm yeah. pretty sure, Rachel, you will catch up because speed is everything for mm-hmm. a startup. Today you have a 30, you know, may, you may not know. In five years, you probably have 5,000 or 6,000, you know, more than your competitors has. Mm-hmm. Eric, how did you deal with it at Zoom? You had left uh, WebEx, WebEx being part of Cisco, massive company. You had that initial speed, but then people could see what you were doing right and could and in fact have, I believe, copied No matter what they say, we always focus on speed. You know, speed is everything. For me to leave uh, WebEx, that's one of the best decisions I made. Because before I left, I was not happy there. Not like today. I was so excited. I wanted to come to office. You know, back then, you know, every day I'd like to stay at home. I do not want to go to office because uh, every day when I talk with the customer, I did not see a single happy customer. Customers, they were not happy. Why should I go to office? So I struggled for almost one year. Finally, I decided if I do not leave, our employee will suffer. My family will suffer. So I, I got to leave. I think that's the best decision I made. And now at Zoom, you talk about speed and as it might relate to Rachel's conundrum. Uh, she has potentially large competition, lar- large competitors who could dominate a certain region, could dominate the entire country if they wanted to. How do you, is it just about speed? Does she just try to raise as much money as possible and hire as many people as possible? Like what's the, what would your, what did you do in this situation? When we started just myself for the first months and, uh, you know, I started the end of June of 2011, you know, by early August, I have uh, around 20 engineers joining me and look at our competitors, extremely crowded market, you know, it's all the big legacy, you know, players, they have also thousands of employees. But we, we know that if we focus on the customer experience, we quickly innovate, understand the customer pain point, and also we want to be the first one to really care about the customer to come up with a solution. We can, we can grow quickly. The year over year, almost double the size. Now, 
almost we have more than 2,500 employees now, right? If we can double maybe in the next two years, I think we'll be okay, right? I think speed is everything. Don't worry about a very big legacy players because they are very, very slow because every day you have new problems, right? And a customer, they cannot live with that. You have to be the first one to find a solution. Who can figure out the first solution to serve customers well? It's not about the big legacy company. It's about the startup company. What about, and I, I'm a Zoom customer, so Thank I'll you. disclose that. Thank you. Um, and, you know, when we were going through conference software, it was just an obvious choice. We didn't even look around. Um, but in terms of pricing, Zoom compared to legacy companies, where do you fall within pricing? Are you cheaper? Are you more expensive? Much cheaper. You're much cheaper. Because our philosophy is always we want to offer the best service, also the lowest price, mm -hmm. with the best uh, the, the culture as well. Those three things are very important. The product, price, and your company culture. If you focus on those three things, I think it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even our product today is better than any of our competitors. Our price also is much better. Lowest price. So I am the most com uh, expensive within my competitive set because the positioning that I've taken in the market is, listen, e-commerce is always on. You need someone hands-on keyboard. So one of the core differentiators for us is my customer success team. It, everyone has my background, meaning they're paid marketing e-com specialists, or I've trained them to essentially execute my playbook. My competitors came to market, legacy companies, and they're a widget. And they're going into these Fortune 500 companies. Sometimes they win the contract because they grossly underprice me. But a year later, the client calls me up and says, we can't even get in contact with them. We want to work with you. So I've sort of held my ground with my premium pricing. But it's, it's challenging from a sales standpoint. Yeah, but I think your strategy also works. You know, more like iPhone strategy compared to other smartphones. Mm -hmm. You know, our strategy is more like a restaurant business. So I'm a huge fan of restaurant business, right? I want to offer the best food, very delicious food, better than any other restaurant. When you try to pay the bill, you will say, wow, it's so good price, mm -hmm. right? I think that's our philosophy. Mm -hmm. I think to be profitable or not profitable, I do not think that's the key. The case, every business is different because sometimes you really want to focus on growth because market share is very important. Sometimes you see, you do not want to focus on the growth because profitability, sustainability is more important. I think that's no, you know, that's success formula for, for every company. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I think the question would come back to you, Rachel, from my perspective is, I'm curious, like, what's your goal? Mm -hmm. Right, because as the entrepreneur, you get to pick those goals. You can say, "Hey, I want to build a very large, independent public software company. Um, I want to build a high growth company for a certain amount of time, and then sell it to one of those people. In which case, you'll fundraise differently. Or even, I want to build a lifestyle business that's just going to cash flow, and it's I'm going to run it for the next twenty years. Mm -hmm. Those are all okay. There's no wrong answer. I think it's like what you want to do as an entrepreneur, and then you, if that's your strategy, then what are the tactics and financing is one of those around that. Right? Yeah. No. Totally. I know that we have a competency that a lot of people care about. So in the history of building Micmac, I've had corp dev teams sniff around us like quarterly. Mm -hmm. 
And at this point, I ignore pretty much everyone. I'm like, send me a term sheet. And for, like, just for, to our, call for their our blood. listeners, a corp dev means one of the larger competitors. They have these corporate development M&A groups, mergers and acquisitions, who are interested in potentially buying Micmac because they're like, wow, this is a jewel. We can't re- reproduce this jewel. Can I buy this and bring this into my company? Which, just for, you know, for most people, is a pretty nice thing to have happen. For it means most somebody, people, that's going to be the ideal outcome. Uh, yeah, I you mean, get, you get acquired. Yes. You make a lot of money. And I mean, that's one it, reason why they would reach out. Yeah. The other reason is that they're just fishing. Sure. Right? Yeah, like, competitive right. intel and so forth. Yeah. And they want you to disclose. They want to exactly. do some due diligence, and they learn all about your business, and then they pull out at the right. last minute. And so maybe it's the New Yorker in me, and I'm a little bit cynical in that way, but I always constantly feel like most people are just fishing, so that's why my reply is now just send me a term sheet mm-hmm. um, because I, I can't go through that rodeo again. That being said, and I'm transparent with my team and my investors, like, I believe that Micmac will become acquired, and that is my goal, mm-hmm. um, when it's the right time at the right price. Mm-hmm. And and why do you say that as opposed to going to be a standalone company? I think because the big guys are so big. Um, so if you look at the Adobe's, the Oracle's, the Salesforce's of the world, so like there's for me there's the traditional marketing cloud guys. Then there's people who are more directly in my space, like Rakuten, Quotient, so more in that shopper marketing uh-huh. space. And they're think, they're independent. Yeah, but they're so big that they have a um, lot of capital. Their behavior, yeah, yeah. yeah, is to deploy that capital yeah. and swoop up and buy companies like mine. And in theory, right, they also have distribution already to your customers, so they have contracts. Whether or not those customers love the product that is being offered as an alternative to yours by those big companies. That's a separate question, but at least they have those business relationships with all those big companies. So in theory, you could provide a lot of value by having Micmac be part of those and just using them as a distribution channel. Right. In theory. A hundred percent. So, you know, I say those things and I only, the fault of my own is I only know how to be one way, which is me. So I, the way I'm talking to you guys is the way that I talk to anyone. And if you say that to an investor, they go, why, why, why do you even think about your exit? And I'm like, wait a second, you're thinking about my exit. Like, that's the math that you're also doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I try to put all that BS aside, and I wanted to hear from you, Eric. Like, you took the IPO route. You've obviously also been a part of acquisitions. You know, what's your advice to someone like me that believes in the next five-year time horizon that, you know, an exit opportunity should happen? Like, what are the things that I need to do today to get myself there in five years. I think back to the, the Freddie's point, I totally agree. I think when it comes to studying a business, you got to be very honest to you and also to your employees, to your company. What's your goal? Mm-hmm. Like you want to sell the company, ideally you want to be cash flow positive, profitable very soon. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you may not find a buyer in the next several years. What can you do to survive, right? That's to be profitable earlier, it makes sense. If you want to build a long-term sustainable company, actually, you probably need more help from the institutional VCs that are going to help you because it's because you want to build a long-term sustainable company. You really do not want to focus on like a cash flow or profitability. You want to focus on the market share, innovation, and also the disrupt, you know, all other big legs players, right? You probably need more capital, right? That's why probably a little bit longer. When we started a business, I was already 41 years old, right? As very old, you know, you know, based on the sitting Valley standard. I told myself, you know, in the next 10 or 20 years, you know, which company do I want to work for? I do not want to see sell the company and join other bigger company and start another company. I think if I want to work for Zoom for another 20 years, 
I better go to an independent path. So it was a very personal decision. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like a business decision. It was like... Why start a company just myself? For sure, that's a personal decision, (laughs) right? You know, it's just like, I do not have any employee. I I want to work for a company every morning when I wake up. I will feel very happy. I'll make sure every employee feel happy as well. However, if someday, most employees told me that they do not want to work for Zoom anymore. They do not feel happy. Okay. Let's sell the company. I go back to retire. But for now, we enjoy that. Mm-hmm. That's why I see our goal on day one is to build a long-term sustainable company. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, over the past several years, you know, whoever wants to see buy us, it's not about price. It's not about evaluation. No, we do not want to sell. Even now, it's still this personal decision. You just can't see yourself. If, when you look out at the at the world, you don't see another company. No, that you no for now, it's not a personal decision anymore. This is we already <laughs> became a public company. This of shareholders, uh, you know, decision, our employee decision. For now, I got to change a little bit because otherwise, I just look at my personal interests. I do not think that makes sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, that might not be totally true. My guess is that since you are still a major shareholder of your own company, you might have a say in how these things happen. Right. Huh? I mean, I can influence you others. Can influence, if right. a board or other you know, shareholders say they want to sell a company, I would say, no, I don't want to. But however, you know, we got to communicate well because I want to proactively share with them what's our company goal today. You know, back to the, your, your point about the goal, it's very important. At any given moment, you got to be honest to yourself, also to your employee. What's the company goal? That's very important. Mm-hmm. If you change your goal, you better to communicate with them mm-hmm. earlier. No, I agree with that in terms of employee transparency. Yeah, exactly. You um, keep mentioning employee happiness. I'm curious how you measure that internally. To measure employee mm-hmm. happiness, I still do not figure out a way yet. Meaning yeah. systematically how to measure employee happiness is very hard. But uh, one thing we are doing here is, at least which we, we, we tell an employee, right? When you wake up in the morning, do you feel happy or not? If you feel happy, please come to office. If you do not feel happy, you can stay at home, right? Figure out the root cause. And so every day, you know, we talk about that a lot. So you're afraid you're right. You know, if you do not smile, you know, every day like this, you feel like, oh, something wrong, right? I think the goal is to make sure employee happy, but how to marry that is really hard. We do not know. Mm. Do you so, have any ideas, Rachel? Well, I'm, I have a company offsite uh, next week, and so every quarter I send out an employee engagement survey. And so now I have eight quarters of the same level of data. It's hard for me to look at it because, you know, as the size of the employee pool increases – your data tends to go down. Um, you mean the happiness goes? What you yeah. mean data, the, the well, trend is down. The results. You know, what yeah. my results yeah. indicate to me right now is looking at them last night. Like, my employees are really proud to work at Micmac. And they're so behind the vision. But they don't seem to be able to say that they can see themselves working there in two years' time. They also can't say they don't know what they're career growth opportunities are at Micmac. So for me, that indicates I need to sit down and communicate org plans and growth charts. Do you think there's any relationship between that sentiment and your stated goal of selling the company that people think, oh, this is going to end at any moment, so how could I expect to be here forever? I mean, that could be a, a maybe another dynamic, but, you know, it's not something that I talk about. And even when corp dev teams are inquiring, um, we weekly all hands, you know, I often let them know, like, X company inquired and nothing happened. You know, like, so there's, I don't want people to think that I'm having secret meetings behind the door. They also know that in the second half of this year, I might go out and raise money. Um, 
just because I think I have really strong underlying metrics and I also want to be on the offense. So I'm sharing all this with them. But when it comes to employee happiness, and I studied this at Gap because I was also helping Gap's foundation with marketing, it really comes down to the individual. And it's hard as you grow, and I'm curious to hear from you, like, how you can give the level of care to each individual employee so they feel security in their own role. Yeah, so back to the happiness, actually, again, we do not know how to measure employee happiness, but we do know how to tell employee and what's the formula to keep employees happy because our formula is let the employee think about from others' perspective, really care, care about others. If you think about making others happy, we think you'll be happy. I want to ask a, a granular question to you, Rachel, which is you were saying that you sent out an employee survey. Mm-hmm. Did you just send out an email? Do you use a particular service? Like, how do people do this? Oh, man. Performance management. Uh, hot topic right now. So I'm uh, hiring for a head of people for anyone who's out there. Um, but meanwhile, we currently use Lattice. Mm-hmm. And listen, like any software company, there are things that you're good at. There are things that you're not good at. I think we have challenges with it as we scale. Um, so I actually send out a survey via Google Forms that I've made on my own. And, and what kinds of questions are you asking? So, like, do you see yourself working at Micmac in two years' time? And there's essentially a score of zero to five. Five is like, hell yeah, absolutely. Zero is like, I'm out the door already. And it's anonymous. It's totally anonymous. Yeah. Um, another question is, do you feel like there's uh, open and honest two-way uh, communication at Micmac between employees and management. Um, another question is, like, do you think Micmac uh, is in a position to succeed over the next three years against the competition? Stuff like that. And then there's also a freeform box. At what size did you start doing that? What number of employees? Literally, like, six employees. Because right. it wouldn't make sense if it was just you and one other person. Then you would no. Anonymous no. survey. <laughs> yeah. Totally survey sent to one person. Yeah. But I'm a really big believer in just, like, giving people the opportunity for anonymous feedback. So um, two weeks ago, we had what I called a customer org kickoff. So I, I made my most senior hire to, to date. Um, he, I call him a real fucking grown-up who's done really big things <laughs> in the world. So he's now Congratulations. my- Thank you. He's now my chief customer officer. And we, we kind of reorged that department. And immediately after, I was like, we got to send out just an anonymous survey and let people give their feedback. And it was really helpful, like right after the meeting, to just gather people's thoughts in a way that they you know, felt was open. Freddie, how do you do it at Okta, like for you and, you know, and for Rachel and for Eric as the head of a company? How do you know how your employees are feeling? We uh, do these surveys too. As early days as Rachel? No. Were you six people? No, we, prob- we should have. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that there was negative impacts to the, the fact that we didn't do that. We should have. Everyone listening, if you have six people, start doing it right away. Uh, um, how big were you or small were you when you did start doing anonymous? Uh, well, today we have about 2,200 people, so probably like 2,150. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Eric? Do you do this, what Rachel's talking about, the anonymous feedback that we comes do. up We do. Yeah, similar to what Okada does, like we do have uh, once every two weeks we have an all-hands meeting, and also we do allow employees you know, to submit you know, questions you know, anonymously. And also the one week before the audience meeting, our executive staff, we gather together, look at all the questions. You know, some questions we will answer live, some questions we just write down. I think uh, we, we have that. I think we feel as a pretty open, transparent feedback for any employee, for anything. Sometimes the questions 
uh, very tough. I think for many of our listeners and, and even the people in this room, the idea of being the head of a company that's only six people and deploying anonymous feedback is a powerful idea. I don't know that you, either Eric or, or Freddie, did it. Um, and it sounds yeah, like absolutely. if you had to Look, do it I, over again, I think again, uh, it there's a lot going on when you're a startup founder. At least there was for me. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things you're learning on the fly. Uh, I think it's very hard to figure out here are all the different things I got to do, and I have six people, and I need to be focusing on culture. When you're like, who's paying the bills? Where's the payroll? Hey, have we changed bank accounts? Oh, we need to get the health insurance thing going. Oh, I got to talk to some customers. Who's building the product? There's all these other things going. You're like, that's literally my morning. Right. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> let me hang on. The most important thing I should do right now is write a survey to send my six employees who are all sitting here within like 20 feet of me and ask them anonymously how they're doing. No, that did but, not occur. It, it should have. But that's the point that, that you say now in retrospect that that was a mistake of Absolutely. yours. Absolutely. But it's totally understandable how it's not the most obvious thing you should do. I give Rachel full props for doing that. Well, hey, listen, thanks to both of you for being here with us today. Uh, I certainly learned a lot, and, uh, and it, was, it was very informative and insightful from both of you. Thank you, Josh. Great pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Eric, very much for taking time, and thank you very much, Rachel. We greatly appreciate it, and anything we can do to help, please don't hesitate to let us know. So we just listened to a lot of good information, a lot of good advice, a lot of good ideas. But are there particular takeaways that you that you have, Freddie? Yeah, Josh, I think there are three really big takeaways uh, out of today's uh, session, certainly for myself. The first one is, as an entrepreneur, you need to figure out who your target market is, how you want to think about your product, how you want to price it, how you want to position it, and how you want to package it when you're going up against very large competitors, number one. Number two, as an entrepreneur, you need to think about what you're trying to do, what your goals are when you're building a company, when you're raising capital, when you're going to hire employees, and you have to communicate whether you're trying to build a long-term independent public company, whether you're trying to build a company for a few years that you'll sell to a larger acquirer, or if you're just trying to build a lifestyle business. And then the third one really is about anonymous feedback. The takeaway there was certainly do a better job than I did. Start anonymous feedback early and do it often in the life of your company. We hope you enjoyed our sneak peek at the new season of Zero to IPO, which will be coming out later this spring. I want to give a special thanks to Zoom's Eric Yuan and Micmac's Rachel Tipograph for coming on the show. In the meantime, keep an eye out for the rest of season two. And if you need a little extra immediate insight, you might want to check out Octane 2020, which goes live online next week from April 1st to 2nd. Yeah, you can register for free at Octane20.com for Octane20 Live. And we're very excited to be able to bring the entire production to the masses. We have over 10,000 folks registered. Todd and I recorded our keynotes from our home, talk about a bizarre experience. General Colin Powell, Amy Poehler, and other speakers all did their keynotes online too. Should be very interesting. And obviously, none of this would be possible without technology from entrepreneurs like Eric and his company, Zoom. This is Zero to IPO. I'm Frederick Karrest. And I'm Joshua Davis. And thanks again for joining us. Come back and listen to Zero to IPO next time.